Calvary, my church. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's time to get fired up. I think we had uh, incredible worship already this morning. I'm glad that we had that. It's always like a, a spark in my, my weekend to get here and hear these guys jam out and uh, worship God. It's fun to you to worship God like that, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? Wasn't quite like that when I grew up. Um, that's what we're going to talk about today, why we do some of the things we do. And uh, we're in a series uh, about grace. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, we've been, we've been talking about God's grace. We, Eva, I see some shirts out here today that we started out on Easter when we started this series called How or uh, Too Good to Be True. And what's too good to be true is grace. It just sounds too good to be true, but it's true. And so what we're going to talk about today is the idea of investments. Ultimately, grace is God's investment into us. Think about it. We, God, God looked at earth and said, man, uh, I'm going to make an investment in my creation. I'm going to invest Jesus. And so what we got was like this balled up awesome package of grace, forgiveness, freedom, purpose. We, we got this, this whole package. So God invested in us. Now, how many of you guys have ever made a good investment before. You made a good investment. How many of you guys ready, made, it, made some good investments? How many of you guys made bad investments? Yeah, come on, don't lie. You know you've made them. All right. But tell you about two a good and a bad investment that I made. Um, I can remember a really, really bad investment. It was right after Christy and I got married. Uh, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the bad investment. <laughs> Whoa, that came out wrong. That was a great investment. On our first, like, weekend getaway, we both had full-time jobs. We were like, Wedding bliss, just we were like crazy in love, just couldn't believe, like, wow, we get to be two married people, we get to live in the same house, wow, this is great, we get to get away whenever we want, you know, and so we traveled from, from where I live, Miami, uh, Florida area, anybody familiar with Miami, Florida, been, been to Miami, yeah, gone back, okay, good, all right, we, we lived between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, a place called Hollywood, Florida, and so we decided to drive across the coast and have a getaway weekend in the Naples Marco Island area. So we drove across the, the coast and uh, found us the hotel, and we were like, woo we're big dogs, we're like adults now, we're getting like hotels and hanging out and having fun, and we're walking down the beach, and we kind of stumbled upon like this beautiful, beautiful place. You know how you walk down the beach, and there's always a place nicer than the one that you're staying at? That ever, that ever happened to you? Just walking down the beach, and you're like, there's ours. Let's keep going. Wow, look at that one. So we walked past this gorgeous place, and they're like, hey, come on in. What are y'all doing? So we walked up in there. Lo and behold, we, we win a free rest of the weekend to stay at this place. So we get rid of our hotel. We come stay at this place, but it comes to the catch. This was one of those, we'll let you stay here for free if you'll listen to our sales pitch about buying a timeshare. All right? So lo and behold, we, we lived it up for a few days at this beautiful timeshare. Like, it had walked down steps into its own mini pool. We were just like, baby, th- th- God wants us to have this timeshare. <laughs> I, I remember driving home, brand new owners of a timeshare. <laughs> and, and on the way home, we, with the, the, way too long in the drive on the way back home, way too long in the decision of making this purchase with down payment and promises and, and, you know, security numbers and everything, social security, we call our parents. Hey, guess what we just did, right? We talked to my dad and my mom first, and they're like, what does it say on the contract? 
So Christy's in the car. She's reading the contract. I'm telling my dad and my mom, they're like, okay, here's what you do. Call them and get out of it. Like, what are you talking about? This is the greatest. No, 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 no. How much, are you, how much debt are you all trying to pay off uh, of your credit card, Jeff, and your college bills? Oh, we're just paying off $15,000. We got this much excess every month. No, no, no. Bad investment right now for you guys. Get rid of it. I see a loophole. I'm like, okay, get rid of it. Sort of like, forget my dad. Let's call Christie's parents. They probably, they're probably smarter. We call Christie's dad. Same thing. Get out of it. Christie's mom, get out of it. So we got out of it. So that was my first bad investment. Now, if you own a timeshare, I'm not saying it's a bad investment for you. For you. In fact, I'm glad you have it. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to know where it's at, too. Um, <laughs> seriously, I really would. <laughs> so, 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 but for us, it was a bad investment. I mean, we had, we seriously had a boatload of stuff. We're trying to pay off school loans and my first credit card, another bad investment. I remember a good investment we made. Uh, my little brother, he's kind of like the, uh, oddly enough, he's my younger brother by 10 years, but he's like a, he's a genius when it comes to investing in stuff. He's just always had a knack for this stuff. So he became at a young age, like in his teenage years, somebody that like we started listening to, like when he was a teenager. And uh, so he got us on early, early, early days, right when, you ever guys ever heard of XMSR or Sirius Radio? We bought stock like in the very, very, when it was penny stock, we bought a bunch of stock early on, and that was a good investment. Now, we laughed because we tried to take that money out, invest in other places, lost it all. So we've got, we got a history of good, bad investments. What I want to talk today about is the investment that as we understand what God did for us, how God wants to leverage, again, what he's done in us for us to invest in others. I want to show you what this, what this looks like. This is, this is what God invested in us. Let's just walk back, take one step back, and look at what did God do for us. 2 Peter 1.3 says this. God's divine power, His divine power has given us, what's the word there? God's divine power has given us, come on, say it out loud. God's given us what? Everything. Now, that's a monstrous word, isn't it? God's divine, I mean, here, here you, you just, the setup of this, His divine, like God is like huge. He's awesome. Divinity, right? I mean, like, oh, right? God's divine power has given us everything, everything that we need for a godly life. Like the kind of life that God's given us enough that as he invests in us, as we receive God's investment in us, we can walk away from a lot of baggage, right? We can live in freedom, we, we, can, we can live our lives where we're not trying to run the rat race of pleasing other people, right? Or being brokenhearted when somebody hurts us. We can live this life sort of less entangled to the things that can mess us up. Not only that, I mean, think of the package of what God gives us. We can live with purpose, right? Like purpose. Like, isn't it so much better knowing that as a Christian, this world does not end with us dead in it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that helps me with purpose. Like, so in a bad day, I realize, <laughs> no big deal, right? Because I'm not going to die and stay on this earth. I'm going to go into heaven someday. I mean, that helps me tremendously when I can live my life with intent and purpose. So God has given us everything we need to live a godly life through our knowledge of what? Of our knowledge of knowing and experiencing Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
this screams that God has given us and invested in us so that we can live out incredibly awesome godly lives. So when it, when it comes to this idea of grace, when you understand what God did for us, then grace ultimately is demonstrated when we go beyond ourselves for the sake of somebody else. Nobody knows this better than a mom, right? Going beyond yourself for the sake of somebody else. Moms, next week we get to celebrate you. Did, did the dads know that? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, we all knew that, yeah. What's up, what's up, yeah, I see you back in the back. Yeah, we all knew, we know it's Mother's Day next week. Moms, you make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You go, you go beyond yourself like over and over and over and over and over again, right? Think of all the times that there's someone going, Mom, 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 right? We hear that hundreds of times at my house, right? Mom, got a need. Mom, right? Just, Mom, you're supposed to be at everybody's beck and call. Dad's sitting on the couch with his remote controller. Like he's, like he's sacrificing too, right? But I'm telling you, moms get this better than anybody else. When you think of grace is when we receive God's grace, we get to demonstrate it for the sake of others. So let's think in terms of a church, right? When a church, as we have as a church, what's crazy about this church is in six years of time, we've had a lot of people find, find God. A lot of people. In fact, we did a survey several weeks back, and we found out that 54% of this church, people were surveyed sitting in our seats on that Sunday morning, 54% of you have become Christians in this church. I'm sorry, 54% of you were not Christians prior to coming to this church, and we found out 45% of the 54% had become Christ followers. That's crazy awesome. So there's been an investment going on here. So as a church, as a church, as we get God's grace, as we understand how we are forgiven, as we understand how we have purpose in Christ, a church ought to be investing also, right? So as we are invested in by God, we get to invest in others like a mom does. So does a church. In fact, so much so that I believe grace compels us. Grace compels us as a church, to invest in, get this, the next generation. And I'm going to show you that this morning. It's in Scripture. This is biblical. In fact, I love this. I love the Bible. I love how you can read the Bible and maybe grasp, gra- grasp a couple things and then reread it later on, maybe the same area, and be like, oh, my gosh, I never saw that before. Well, I found, I found a story that I, I, I kind of knew about, but I, I never notice this. And this is something that I think will, will just help transcend everything that we do as a church as it, comes, as it pertains to us investing in for the sake of others. So let me show you this passage this morning. Um, this is found in Acts chapter 20. And this is written by, um, by, by a guy by the name of Luke, who was the, a physician and one of the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was one of the writers of those, those Gospels. He wrote Acts. So it says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, this is the early church meeting for church. On the early first day of the week, they came together and broke bread. This is like the first church potluck dinner, right? They're breaking bread. They're eating. They're hanging out together. They're having like a service. 
So on the very first day of the week, they came together, they break bread. Luke's writing this, and he's speaking uh, about what's going on in the service that day, right? So he says, Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking, he kept on talking until midnight. So I don't know if that's like, a, like Luke saying like a little jab to Paul, like Paul's got to leave the next day, so he figured he'd just get it all in in one night. So he kept us here to midnight. I think that's kind of funny in the Bible, don't you? I get that every now and then, so I just, I, I noticed that. I'm like, I never saw that there before, right? So here, that's not the best part. So Luke's writing, he's talking about the service, he's talking about setting things up, explaining what the service is like, giving us a visual, visual. They're, they're eating in church, they're breaking bread, Paul's speaking to midnight, it's getting late, wow, it really is late, you know? And so all of a sudden it goes, he's speaking to midnight, and there were many lamps, meaning like it's gotten dark, and we had to light the lamps, so you notice this, they've just filled their nice, their bellies up, and they're feeling just so good, right? They're sitting in, I don't know, maybe comfy seats, maybe not, but they're sitting there, their bellies are full, it's dimly lit, right? Little candles lit everywhere, the mood's just right, makes me feel like taking a nap, right? Right, so that, that's the visual I get. So there are many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, verse 9. Seated in the window, this is where I want you to look at. Seated in a window was a young man. Young. It specifies he was a younger man in church, right? How many churches you go to where there's, where there's one, men, two, young men? I don't know if it was a rarity then, but it, it is a rarity today, not here. In fact, we're, we're more percentage men than we are women in our church, and I salute that because men, we're kind of we're slow spiritually. I'm just saying, all right? Um, so, so there's lamps lit, there's a boy or a young man seated in a window, his name's Eutychus, who, who after lo- Paul's long-winded message, begins sinking into a deep sleep, <laughs> right? The Bible's recording like a long-winded message and people sleeping. He falls into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I love it. Luke, you're awesome. And when, when, he, when he was found sound asleep, he fell out of the window to the ground from this third story and was picked up dead. That's a bad church service. Now, to, to, to date, I don't think I've killed anybody with a bad message. I've preached some bad ones. I, I'm going to give you that. I mean, from time to time, man, they're, they're, they're struggle. I know. I get it. I'm up here going... God, I hate that they're having to listen to this right now. I mean, I think that often, right? But I, to, to date, I don't think that it's been so bad that somebody died, right? But Paul kills somebody. Paul's message, the apostle. I love it. I feel so much better now. A little self-confession. I feel so much better now that the apostle Paul preached so bad so long that somebody died because of it. But here, here's, here's, here, here's what I noticed out of this. Something was going on that day that they were missing. They missed the young man completely. Paul and others, all the adults, they were so wrapped up in what they were doing. Nobody was paying attention to the young man. Nobody was paying attention that that the, the, the structure of the service the food, maybe, maybe it was 
uh, turkey. <laughs> Maybe turkey, you know, they forgot it makes you fall asleep. Maybe they didn't realize that these kind of candles added to people getting tired. Maybe Paul didn't realize that, dude, you got 30 minutes and they're going to go out. No one's going to remember what you say beyond 30 minutes, Paul. We know this as communicators, right? You got to get it done and get it over with. No one's remembering your junk after that. But for some reason, nobody was thinking about the young guy in the, in the window. Nobody was thinking about the young people. Nothing they were doing was conducive enough and grabbed his attention enough or set things up well enough where it grabbed his heart or his attention because he slipped off into a coma and he fell off. He fell three stories and died in church. And that's where I want to talk about this morning. As a church, grace, God's grace to us compels us as a church to make an investment in the next generation. That's why, that's why I love our my kids. That's why, that's, why, that's why we have as a church, from day one, we said we're going to do everything humanly possible to make this service both cool and relevant and young because we know that there's somebody sitting out there that if, if this is boring, if this is lame, if we don't do a good job of connecting and communicating all across the board from my kids all the way through even this area in our adult area, people are going to slip off. And there's going to be a day where they walk away from the church. Why? Because it's just boring. How many of y'all grew up in a church that you just felt like you were drugged there and you hated it? When I was a kid, there was one word in my mind. I can think back to how I felt about going to church and one word popped up. Boring. Boring. Do you know where most people are today? What are we looking for? What are we hoping for? Happiness. Right? We got songs about it. We got the happy song. Right? We got the happy song. I think the greatest tragedy today of students and kids is, is boredom. People are hungry for something that's fun. I heard the other day someone said about our church, about our kids' areas. They go, those, those people go to that church, they just like to have fun. And that's a slam? Oh, my gosh. And you want to go somewhere and it be what? Not fun? See, there, there, there's, there's an element in the church world today that says let's be unattractive. Let's make things dull. Let's make things boring. But I, can I just tell you again that scripturally, scripturally, they were missing something that day in church. They were not paying attention to the young man sitting in the window. Because things weren't conducive, because there was no thinking pre-beforehand about how do we connect in these areas, this young man died because of it. And I just want to say, or I want to say thank you to all of, our, all of our kids' volunteers. We've got the most amazing, yeah, you should clap for that. We've got some amazing volunteers, all the way from our My Tots, that's our babies' areas, our My Kids, all the way through into our high school, middle school students' areas. We've got some awesome volunteers. Sometimes you may think that that's just babysitting. Can I tell you, you're making an investment in the next generation. We're not just 
watching kids for the sake of watching kids. You're raising up future leaders that someday may be maybe on staff at this church, maybe teachers in the schools that you're investing in right now. Um, I love this, just speaking of the importance of focusing in on the next generation. I love this. Jesus talked about this, Luke 18, 16. He said, but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come unto me and do not, what is the word there? Do not what? Hinder them. I mean, how do you get any more specific than that? Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We need to, as a church, not just think about us and our needs, but as we're connected with by grace, grace compels us to reach out and to lovingly connect with the next generation. We see it in Jesus' words. Let the little kids come to me and don't hinder them. Don't do anything that's going to make it terrible or boring or or make them want to go away from this place. Set it up in such a way that they want to be back. You know what our mission statement is? Helping people what? Find their way back to God. Isn't that everybody? Whether you're like not even a Christian, and I know some of you aren't even Christ followers today, I applaud you. I'm glad you're checking out things up under the hood. But whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, or whether you're really, really mature, we're all still finding our way back closer and closer and closer, deeper and deeper and deeper, knowing God's grace. But as we really grasp God's grace, it could do nothing less than compel us to think about the kid in the window. I want to show you a picture. Seven years ago, my kids, we moved to Columbus, Georgia to start this church. Let me just tell you a little about that, what that was like. Those little smiley faces, kids there, I mean, I love that. I mean, they're not that young any longer. The two, my daughters are both teenagers. We don't take happy pictures any longer. <laughs> oh, no. Uh-uh. You just, when they're little, like, hey, kids, what's up, everybody? Like, hey. Now it's like, daddy, seriously. Seriously. You, no, I'm not smiling for a picture, right? It's like way different. Now, but back then, I mean, like, it was so easy. You just throw a camera up. They're like, yay, Daddy, it's so fun, right? Seven years ago, we uh, folded shop where we, where we lived in Atlanta. And I remember, um, I mean, just preparing to start this church and, and telling the kids, hey, kids, we're going to move to Columbus, Georgia. It's awesome there. We got a river. They don't have any whitewater yet. But it's coming, right? We don't have a zip line, but it's coming. There wasn't a restaurant downtown except for Picasso's Pizza, but now we got everything downtown, right? Seven years ago, man, we're telling our kids we're going to start a church in Columbus, Georgia. We're, we're like closing shop. We're selling their, you know, sacrifice on the kids, and we're selling their house. We're selling mama's piano. We're, get, we're closing shop, right? We're a little nervous, like, what are they going to think about God? We're going to think about the church. So, you know, we're, we're like teaching them we're about to do something we're we get to make a sacrifice we get to go we get to go reach people in columbus georgia who maybe aren't reached yet we're going to reach kids like you you you're going to help us do that we're we're showing our kids hey you get to be a part of this with us i remember closing shop you know making our way you know in in a period of several months to columbus georgia and you know staying at my parents house at different times in, in south florida and visiting here to columbus 
over and over again and visiting churches. I tried to meet every pastor in town. We tried to go any church in, in all areas around this city from Noonan to, to Auburn to, I mean, just anywhere around and see every church and really evaluate what they were doing. My kids became like church growth experts. We'd show up, they'd march into that kid's ministry, and they'd walk out with notes. Like, Daddy, they don't hold the door. Nobody smiled at us. That kid's leader was just like grumpy. That one old lady, she like had like the biggest booger in her nose. Daddy, we can't do that. Kids will not like that. I mean, my kids will walk out with notes. So I, I, I want to say this because it, it helps me explain. Um, this, this summer, um, my wife and my family, we're going we're gonna to take an extended time off this summer. And uh, we're going to get a much-needed getaway. It's been seven years, us just giving heart and soul, and, and we love our church. But we're going to go recharge our batteries this summer. We're gonna, I'm, a, I'm not going to see you for several weeks, all right? Don't worry, we're coming back. The church is going to be set up incredibly, incredibly well. We've got great communicators coming in, utilizing some gifted people here inside the church. Let me just give you a quick challenge while I'm on the subject. When I'm gone, I'm totally jacked and pumped, expecting you're going to rise up and be the church like never before. I really fully expect that. I, I can't wait. I'm going to send some videos. We've been, we've been planning this for several months. So in, in, in thinking along those lines, We've been talking to our kids about this summer. Hey, Dad's going to take a long break. We're not coming to church. They were like, really? What are we going to do on Sundays? And I was like, well, I, I hadn't thought about that. Well, are we going to be gone every week? I'm like, uh, no. We're going to be gone some of the time, but not all the time. So what are we going to do? I'm like, well, we're going to go visit other churches like we did before. We're going to learn. Dad's going to do, I can, I'm, I'm, I've got like a, um, a life coach I'm going to spend a couple weeks with. I'm going to go and do a conference on communication. Chrissy's going to go with that one, go, go to that with me. So they want to know what's going on for Sundays, and I keep getting pressed for Sundays. I'm like, well, you guys will just come with us. We'll drive up to, to Noonan, to my buddy's church up there, and drive up to Marietta. Our two board members are up in Marietta and one in Cumming. They got churches. We'll go see their churches. And the kids, I'm getting, I'm feeling all this resistance in, in this conversation. So time goes on, and Christy, who's on the front row this morning, it's my wife, she says, baby, the kids don't want to go with us anywhere else. I said, well, they can't stay home. She said, well, we're, we're just going to have to take them to church. I'm like, baby, that's not, the, the point is for us to get away, right, to, to not, to be disconnected. I think it'll be healthy for them. So we have a conversation, and she's, she, she finally, they finally tell Christy, we don't want to go with Daddy. We, if you guys go to another church, we don't want to go. I'm like, we'll go to Brewster's. I mean, I'll buy you lunch. We'll hit a movie afterwards. You know, I'm not preaching. Saturday nights will be fun, right? And they're like, no. And here's what they said that just, I mean, it messed me up. Because this was nothing like how I felt when I grew up. They said, Dad, on Sunday mornings, we sit in the service. But the other hour, we serve on a team. And we don't want to miss serving on our team. These are, this, this is a picture of my girls now. Allie's 16, just got her driver's license. Oh, my gosh. And Ash on the right is 12. We have a rule around here. When you become 12 years old, you can start serving in our My Kids and My Tots areas under the supervision of an adult. When you're 16, dependent on your ability, we, you fill out applications. Our girls went through background checks, 
unfortunately for uh, for our kids' areas, they had no, you know, they had not been in prison or no DUIs yet, so that's all good. So they made it through the background check. But my girls are so proud that they get emails and, and like, planning center requests that says, um, we have some slots that can be filled this month. My girls have already been scheduling where they're going to serve this summer. And they said, Daddy, we don't want to go because we want to serve on our My Kids teams this summer. My daughter leads, my oldest daughter on the left, helps lead the crazy, one of the crazy worship times with her other friend, Hannah Mishkoff. Where's Hannah at? Hannah is, that's Hannah. And let me tell you about this little girl real quick. Hannah has also spent several years going through our kids' programs as my girls have been invested by you for several years going through our kids' areas. She comes out, and now she's also uh, a, a, a girl who's in high school now at Columbus High School. This is Hannah. That's my, that's my cheek. You see it's kind of the fluffy part over there. We're in Mexico together, and we're passing out my church cards about a new church that's going to launch in Mexico. I fell in love with this little girl. She is one of the most um, life-loving, full-of-life students who loves to give and loves to serve. Can I tell you one thing that I've been reading and learning about the next generation? There's a whole new generation that if the church doesn't strategically think about how to connect with them and do it right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna see some people walk away from the church, and, and they won't come back. They're going to die on the vine. They're going to fall out the window, and we won't see them again. But let me tell you about the next generation. The next generation coming up, they're not stingy. They're not. They're not greedy. They want to be engaged. They want to serve. They want to give. And I can tell you right now that, 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 that nothing blows my mind more than seeing kids who want to be in church. I didn't want to be in church. It was boring. I mean, either the preacher talked like really slow and really soft, or he was like really angry, or he'd talk and end the sentence with, ah! And the Lord Jesus was talking to, or Paul was talking to Lord Jesus, and Luke wrote some stupid stuff about me. Ha! Like, get that man like a breath mint or a cough syrup or something, right? You remember. But here's the thing. We need to humble ourselves and say and remind ourselves it's not about us. It's not about us. We have more kids from 12 years of age and younger than the average size of an entire church in America. The average size of the church in America is 100 people. We have well over that in ages 12 and under. It's 12 and under. And they're, they're growing. I can't believe it's been five, six years. Those little girls, they're in high school now. They're driving. It's up to us to set an anchor of hope in their hearts. That when they get in these years where they become students and the average age for a young person to, to see porn is nine, 
And now all of a sudden, one of the most destructive kids things are doing today that was never around when I was a kid is cutting themselves. Self-mutilization. We had a ninth grader at Columbus High School commit suicide recently. Listen, if the church is not compelled to, to, to really think through how we're going to love the next generation, we're going to lose them. Paul, Paul is obviously, I would, say, I would say, embarrassed about the long-winded message that killed the boy out of the window. Because in verse 10 it says, Paul went down. Like Paul went and said, oh my gosh, I've got to shorten the message. We've got to do something. We've got to figure this out. Paul goes down. He threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him and then says to everybody else, don't be alarmed, he says, he's alive. Good, good thing Paul could do that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> I don't have that ability, all right? That's, that's God's stuff. He can, he can do whatever he wants to do, all right? Obviously, we know that was God, God, that was God too, right? Okay. But here's what I noticed. Paul humbled himself. Paul humbled himself. He's the big dog. He's hanging out with all the adults. All of a sudden, Paul goes, wow, nobody's paying attention to the boy in the, in the window, Nobody's, nobody's paying attention to this guy. I'm not thinking about him. I preached way too long. He throws his arms around him. This kid comes back to life. Then he went upstairs, talking about the boy. They all go upstairs. After he fell downstairs, they go back upstairs. He goes upstairs, and they break bread, and they eat. And after talking until daylight, this boy was so loved, felt so, so appreciative, the one he's not dead, they continued to feed him, and he stayed and talked and shared until midnight. You know what most churches, the method of communicating to students is? Let me show you this picture. This, this is how we used to communicate. The kids, the students. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you guys you grew up with a phone like that? You remember you get that, you could buy the long cord? And that long cord was invaluable, Right? You wanted a private conversation. You just stretch it like all the way around. You shut the door. You could be like in the laundry room, like a mile away from the kitchen. Yeah, I'll be there in an hour. Your parents know, heck no, man, I'm in the laundry room. Right? Right? You know how you connect with kids today? Right here. Right here. I'll go, I'll go to my kid's school, and there will be eight kids standing in a circle. Nobody's talking. They're te- Hey, man, what's up? And they're right there. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you this. We must change how we communicate. We're not going to reach them by lecturing them. We're going to reach them by loving them. Paul stoops down. He humbles himself. He changes his posture. He, change- he changes his, le- his language. And he stoops down and gets on their level and bring this, brings this kid back to life. Listen, I'm just making one case today. As you have received God's grace, grace compels us to invest in the next generation. Can I just tell you, we've been meeting as um, we've got a strategic team. We, we, we formed a church strategy team. We've been meeting since January having very, very formal, strategic conversations led by an incredible consultant. Um, and we are planning 
to roll out in the, in the early fall, like August fall. That's what we call fall when school gets back. We're going to roll out an incredible three-year plan for my church. And, and, and we're going to make some huge, huge, audacious steps of what it's going to take to really invest in the next generation. And can I tell you, we're, we're going to be hiring some, some family ministry folks. We're going to be looking at student ministry. And we're going to do whatever it takes because I can tell you this much. I got kids. I got babies. You got babies. And we're going to do whatever it takes to send an anchor of hope of Jesus in their hearts so that one day when things get difficult, when they get their hearts broke, when life seems larger than life, when you look at it as a parent, you go, oh, that's so easy, but not for them, not where they're at. We're going to do whatever it takes for us to invest in that generation. So in the weeks, in the months to come, my hope is that this church would be in the years to come, a shining light for reaching every man, woman, and child in this city for Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that today you would help us to do three things. Give big all summer. I pray, God, we'd give big all summer financially, spiritually, that we would, we would just go all out with, with trusting you, and taking steps, God, to make these type of investments. As our students do trips, as our kids do what they do and invest, and our leaders what they do to invest in the kids, God, I pray you'd help us to give big all summer. God, I pray you'd help us to jump in and start serving. God, I pray for those sitting there this morning, they would hear this message, that you would convey and connect in their hearts. If this is a place that they would count as theirs, that they'd play a role, that they'd be an owner. They'd be an owner. And God, I also pray that this morning, as we consider all the different small groups, God, I pray that every man in this room would consider connecting his kids and or his spouse into a small group. God, we believe and we see modeled all through Scripture that we cannot grow on an island. God, I pray that you'd help us connect with what you started years ago with the church, for us to be in connection, to be in community, to stoop down and to wrap our arms around each other, to help each other, to be friends, to to have fun, and to grow closer to you. God, I beg of you that you would guide us through these types of conversations where we would leverage the grace that you've given us for other people's forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.